Welcome to Authentic Jewish Living with Yiska, our journey into finding our own authentic expressions within the Jewish tradition. This indeed unfolds the path to encounter the divine within each one of us. As always, I hope that today's episode will help you understand that authentic living in fact is a spiritual practice and that authentic living is essential to the Jewish way of living. Welcome everyone, Baruchot Habaot, Baruchim Habaim. This month's conversation, as with all, will highlight the diversity, the dynamic texture, and varied landscape that expresses and honors authentic Jewish living. I will be in conversation today with a special and unique personality in the Jewish world whose voice needs to be heard by many, by all people who seek inspiration, encouragement, and support to be true and faithful to their inner selves. With excitement, with joy, and with so much gratitude, I am honored to be in conversation today with Dasi Berkowitz. Baruch Welcome. You. Welcome. So a little bit about Dasi. Dasi Berkowitz is a sought-after educator and facilitator and founder of Ayeka's Becoming a Soulful Parent program. Her groundbreaking approach to education has been enthusiastically received by scores of Jewish community centers and synagogues since the program launched in 2015. Dasi has lectured internationally, served as scholar-in-residence for Jewish federations, and trained facilitators at educational agencies across North America. Wow. Mm. She holds a master's in informal Jewish education from Hebrew University and a BA from Barnard College, Columbia University, where she graduated magna cum laude. She has studied at the Pardes Institute for Jewish Studies and the Conservative Yeshiva, two experiences that helped her cultivate a unique pedagogical approach rooted in the wisdom of the Jewish tradition. Dasi is a frequent contributor to Haaretz, The Forward, Jewish Telegraph, Telegraph Agency, Times of Israel, and other publications, with articles on parenting and Chavra Listen Up, on parenting as a spiritual practice, and making family life meaningful during Jewish holidays. What an amazing introduction. I know. Who are wow. you introducing there, Yiska? <laughs> yes. So before we dive into the four questions, I always like to say, Maha, Manish Tanaha podcast is a Mikola podcast In light of the, the world we're living in now, and we're always living in the world now, there's always something unique externally, internally. Could you tell us, inform us, speak to our listeners 
in light of what you do, is there anything you're doing specifically? Are you emphasizing anything? How do you feel you're being called upon through this work that you're doing, cultivating parenting as a spiritual practice? My gosh. I love I love that question, um, and I think the the main the main piece. I mean, it's such an unusual time that we're living in now, and. Um, you know, for some people, it's quite a lonely time, and for many parents, it's quite a busy time, and there we're all called upon in so many ways, and the demands of the moment are so powerful and extreme. You know, so mm. many of us balancing our um, family lives and family obligations together with work obligations, together with cultivating or paying any attention to ourselves and our own self-care and the other relationships that are so important to us, friends and spouses, um, that it really is, it, it's very intense and intensive. And it's also an opportunity not to rush by our lives. Mm. And I think there are some ways in which all of our busyness that we had before COVID and before the pandemic, um, there were always opportunities to say like, I'm just so busy, I'm running from place to place. You know, for us who have, I have three children um, who are now 12, 10 and eight. And for all of us, <laughs> we would be like, oh, we're going across town to drop this one off at, at, a, at a chug and to take care of this one has a tutor and we'd be running and rushing. And what's, because we're not doing that and because we're actually all at home much of the time, I think we can become so much more attentive to quieting the busyness outside and becoming attuned to to the music and sometimes cacophony that's happening inside, inside of our yeah. homes, to become more attuned to our children's needs, the nuances of their speech, to us and our, you know, how we're acting and reacting. And sometimes, you know, we're not very happy with how we're reacting mm. in any way. So, mm. so I think that there are so many ways in which this is really an opportunity for us to look inward um, a book that I recently wrote, Becoming a Soulful Parent, A Path to the Wisdom Within, is meant to really be a guide and a kind of companion to parents now to say, let's hold hands and walk through this space together because it's hard and there are tremendous opportunities for, for, for closeness, for understanding, for humility, you know, for my daughter walks around with a Shabbat dress that has a big hole in it because I haven't been able to buy her a new dress, you know, like the stores have been closed, you know, and, um, and we're not going to just go and run and jump and buy new things all the time. So just kind of living a little bit more humbly, you know, in these times. Um, what I'm hearing also, if I may interject, what I'm hearing is living now in light of specifically soulful parenting is to be more proactive than reactive mm -hmm. right absolutely i yeah. think that's beautiful um you know i think that we are we are um there we're there's so many needs you know happening all the time and um you know that we see in our in our homes and and yeah and for us to be able to to be to be proactive and also know that we're always in process. I think that that's a really important piece. You know, this, I love this teaching of Yom Echad. You know, there was night 
everything was terrible. You know what I mean? Like this one lost her homework, that one's screaming about something else, you know, this one, the Zoom didn't work, this one's frustrated that the hook was canceled and whatever. And then there was nighttime when we went to sleep and, you know, had some time. And then there was Boker, Yom Echad. It was just one. It was just one, you know, all of it, the ups and the downs. So I think it's really sharing that and saying, we're all in this together. We're just all in it. You know, let's walk through it together. Let's walk through it together. Yes, together. It's also being able to create and nurture and express community in different ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. And the, the, the core of a community is the nuclear family. Ab absolutely. You know, and I think that there's, I think what I see the importance now more than ever is real connection. You know, that, that, superficial connection it, it's the stuff that we have to do in our day-to-day -day lives to you know get through and how we socialize but but the real soulful connection where we can say how are you and I'm actually going to have some time to listen to you <laughs> of how you are not only with our kids but also with other parents and other peers and other people that we <clears throat> see struggling um, and and inviting that in and and letting that in and also kind of seeing beyond the walls of our own nuclear family and our own homes, of what's happening in other people's homes. Who else needs support now? You know, how can mm. I be attentive to that single mom? And how can I be attentive to to another friend who um, is, is experiencing challenges or difficulties? And how can I make time for that? So I think that those are these, like, they're kind of, you know, the spiritual les lessons 101 or even community building 101, that we don't need to go so far, just right here. How do we open our eyes more and open our ears more? Um, we mm. have two of each, you know, um, we have one mouth, but two ears and two eyes to really expand our capacity to take in what's happening. That's beautiful. That's inspiring. Mm. Really inspiring. Wow, so let's move into our four questions. So the first question is, within a Jewish framework, whatever that means to mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. how do you understand the phrases authentic living, living my truth, cultivating inner integrity? Yeah. Could you talk about that? For Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that... But the first piece of it, and this has really been a process for me personally, I think I've always been um, a Jewish person who's loved community and loved people and loved Israel, but um, this, but spirituality has been actually something I came, I've come to later in my life, in my adult years, and certainly after having children. And I think that um, this this piece of the Selim Elohim in everyone is is key to that. You know, that, that key sense of you know, what is that Selim Elohim? Tell, you know, living in God's image or mm. having having divinity within you, mm. right? And and being able to kind of walk through the world in that way. So an authentic, authentic Jewish living is kind of is being both attuned to what that specialness in me is and being able to see and eke that out in other people also, and to see that, right? To see mm. the Selim Elohim in everybody else. They might be believers, non-believers, you know, conflicted with it, but just to be able to 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 approach people and see that, and I think for me that that creates more expansiveness in terms of my curiosity about other people, my interest in other people's stories, 
my interest in my own story, um, my my acknowledgement, I think, of where, where I get things wrong and kind of a little bit of self-compassion there. Um, and then it... Well, we'll all, always be getting something wrong. Yes, yes. I mean, it's... We're not perfect. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Authentic living does not mean we live a life of perfection. Absolutely, but, yeah. absolutely not. You know, and I think it's, there's, um, I think what I, what I think about when I have that kind of a, a, a spiritual lens on it, it's something that Alan Liu actually wrote in mm. his beautiful book, This is Real and I'm Completely Unprepared, which I just love and it's for the high holidays, right? It's a, a preparation for the high holidays, but I feel like it's something we have to return to all the time because it's, it, he has so many gems in that book. And one piece of it, honestly, is his, um, he talks about the book of life and what the book of life is. And he says the book of life is not something that is written in, you know, by a supreme being. The book of life is something we write ourselves into every day with every choice we make, with every action we engage in. And I think about that, and honestly, I have to remind myself to think about that. But when I remind myself, the idea that I can choose a way to respond or act or whatever that is life-giving, or I can choose a way to respond or act that is deadening, that is deadening, you know? And, and to think about that, well, what am I choosing now? And I think the, the rush of our lives doesn't allow us to pause, to say, how am I choosing? Do I want this? Am I, am I doing an act of, you know, uh, am I flattering someone so that I can, you know, get something in return? Or am I honestly, you know, being in wonderment of an accomplishment that someone else had and really happy for them? And, uh, you know, am I letting someone else cross the street or am I like late for my appointment and I'm just going to get there as fast as I can, you know? So all these teeny little ways, you know, am I dismissive to the clerk? I mean, halavai, we should be able to go to supermarkets but and, and, and have lots of interpersonal reactions, but am I dismissive to a person who's, who's a clerk in a store, um, or am I, you know, kind and receptive and connecting to that person, even if it's in a moment. So in all sorts of big and small ways, I think we can always choose that. So I think when I can have that consciousness of, of choosing to live in a way that feels like it's life-giving, and I'm writing myself in the book of life, and maybe writing, having you know, giving other people the opportunity to write themselves in that book of life as well. I think for me that that's what that authenticity that's is. Pure. Choose life. Mm-hmm. We're told by our creator. Yeah. You know, I'm giving you options. Yeah. But you know really what I really want you to do? Choose life. Mm-hmm. What I also have found interesting, <clears throat> relevant to what you're sharing with us is that many of the spiritual masters, the Hasidic masters, teach that the degree to which you sense the divine presence within, to that degree you sense that presence in others. Mm -hmm. So all too often, if we seek to force, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. If we're trying to see that others are created, B'Tselem Elohim, Usually, if we're struggling, it's because we're not seeing that inside of our own mm-hmm. selves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just really appreciate, I so appreciate how you equate that with 
authentic living. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I, I think that also the spiritual practices to be able to become aware of that mm. you know what are they how do we how do we punctuate our days with that I mean as busy parents we'd say like I don't have time to you know think to myself and to recognize my own inner godliness but you know the smallest practice of five minutes next to a pile of laundry in the morning and it doesn't have to be in a pristine setting you know or while cooking dinner or, you know to take a break from it or cup of coffee in the afternoon a few moments of a break to just breathe and be with yourself and think to yourself you know I think that all of those can help and they can and it's doable and it's bite-sized it's beautiful yeah and you can visualize you're on the beach mm-hmm. exactly or you're on the top in of Paris. a mountain or... <laughs> right. we want to visualize yeah. a lot right. of things now well thank you thank you Darcy beautiful insights so the second question is what is your go-to favorite Torah teaching that expresses your personal sense of your Jewish identity best? Well, I if you have a favorite, yes. or maybe two. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I love the question. Um, and I think, I think the way, I think the way that I can um, approach that actually is to think about what's, what's a text that's animating the way I'm thinking now. Mm. Um, and because I feel a Jewish identity is so big, it's such a big, you know, it's such a big um, concept. And so for me, um, I think um, really from the beginning of Brayshit, I would, I would go to this and, you know, I think I, I think a lot about relationships because I spent all my time in relationship with other people and thinking about how to strengthen relationships is um is this concept of um Ezer Kenegdo, actually from um, the second chapter in um in Genesis in Breshit where God is looking for realizes that it's not good for a human being for the first earthling Adam to be alone and is looking for an Ezer Kenegdo, you know a fitting match for for Adam and you know looks for all the animals and then finds Chava um, as like, okay, this will be the Ezer Kenegdo. And what I think about that is not in terms of the gender relationships between a man and a woman, but I think about what what is it to be an Ezer Kenegdo? What is that? Can you translate? Sure, Ezer Kenegdo is uh, literally, Ezer is help, and Kenegdo is in opposition. And what would it mean to have the, someone help by being in opposition, you know, to someone else. So we could say, on the one hand, a simple reading would say it's um, it's a helper. You know, I'm gonna, I, I, you're the main person. I'm gonna help you. But I think the 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 depth of it, um, and you know, um, Rav Salavechik talks about this that the the ezer, the help, is connecto, is by being and standing in opposition. And I think that is so profound. For us now, I mean, thinking about politics and our political lives, both here and in in the states, um, I'm thinking about that in terms of marriages and relationships. I'm thinking about that even in terms about our children. How are their character traits, which are might be so connectenu sometimes? You know, some of us have as preteens or teens or even college students who are living at home and there's so many things or toddlers, you know, who have very strong wills. Um, and how, how, how is it helpful that there is, is something that's against that's standing in opposition. And the way I think about it is that 
you know, that there, and, you know, it says it in Baba Batra that, you know, God created the entire world, Zahara Nekeva. A tractate in Talmud. In Talmud, yes. Um, Everything is Zahara Nekeva. Not female and male exclusively, but I would use it more as a metaphor that everything has it and its opposite. You know, that our life and life forces, it's all about it and its opposite. Um, So the ways in which we can imagine that, you know, I am just, I'm not the whole story, that I don't have the whole truth, that I don't have all the answers. And you have a beautiful cat. This is like a beautiful home in that that I'm in um, of yours. You know, but there, but there are, there's always a duality. There's always two or even more than two, you know. And, and if I can think that when I'm having a conflict with one of my kids or with my husband or with a friend or with a, someone who holds a different political opinion, that there is the help is that you're holding a different view because you're helping me understand the truth and the world in a bigger, more expanded way. Um, so I think that that's really what I'm carrying with me now and kind of what I'm, what I'm bringing to through my life as I as I interact and certainly there are lots of conflicts now not everyone you know thinks thinks the same way at all um, but I think that that's an important piece how can I grow from this interaction how can I even grow from this opposition that I'm experiencing even in my intimate home life um, or beyond it wow such depth to understanding opposition what a, I'm just thinking that perhaps seeing the opposition as a help transforms it into support. Mm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It doesn't begin as support, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially if it's between parent and mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Many mm-hmm. times it's the furthest thing from the child's mind. Yeah. However, it can be used mm-hmm. as a tool mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to role model and to show transformation the transformative experience. Mm-hmm. And, and also to show, you know, what, what does it mean to go, to walk a path of understanding? What what would it mean if I honestly said, I don't, you know, I don't understand what's happening yeah. here and what's happening with you and I'm stuck and, you know, it's a very humbling thing as a parent to be like, I don't know, God help me, please here. Um, but, but to kind of walk walk with your child and say, help me understand. Not in a help me understand so I can give you a better hashlacha, you know, or consequence for this behavior, but help me understand what you're experiencing, what's happening for you. I want to bring in reality how this is affecting me, how this is affecting our family. You know, so so I think if we can get to that place and it is work and it takes time and it takes taking breaks and it takes coming back together. But but I think that it's a path that's in front of us, you know, so how can we how can we walk it a little bit? What a beautiful understanding of Ezra Kinecto. Mm. I've never heard something I've never heard this before. This is really it's it's deep. It's all but it's also grabbable. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's we can put it we can cut it into bite-sized mm-hmm. pieces. It's it's real. Mm-hmm. It's realistic. It's mm-hmm. not only idealistic, it's realistic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and listen, there are boundaries to it also, you know, and we've you know, the, this idea that not all opposition is good, right? Not all forces against are good, right? And there are limits and we need to be wise and know what those limits are. Um, but we also, but most of it is probably in the realm of 
we can work with this. And let's Probably see. more than we imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. again, it goes back to being proactive rather than reactive. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that verse with us. Mm. I will always look at it differently mm. now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Our third question is, how do you see your role in particular as a voice of change in the Jewish world and actually in the world at large? You know, I, um, I, I love the question. I think, you know, I, I think I love, the, I love the concept of the world, you know, kind of what is our world, right? Um, Rob Cook has this beautiful idea that if we bring our full attention to everything, that is our world. Nice. Like our whole world is right now recording <laughs> this podcast. This is, <laughs> you know, whole this is our whole world. Um, and, and, I, and I think about, you know, how can, how can I um, help bring people, other people to that awareness, right? That every, you know, we're so busy. Our minds are such monkey minds, you know, they're jumping from thing to thing and, you know, what's next and how many more things can I get done today? And, um, and because there's limited time and maybe we really feel that in a peaked way potentially now, but there might be, um, there might be something else there. So I feel, I feel if I can help um, bring people to that sense of presence, both with their children. My daughter, my youngest daughter, she has such a sense of when I'm distracted. You know, I'm like in the middle of a sentence with her, and she's like, Ema, you're not totally here. You know, it's like, okay, right. I was thinking about something else, and I was just going on autopilot, you know, telling you the instructions to how to complete this worksheet or whatever it is I was doing with her. Is this what happens when you become a soulful parent? Oh, my God, your kids <laughs> totally pick up on it. My son often says, Ema, bad soulful parenting moment there. <laughs> so it's good. We have, like, the, the honest critics, you know, in the, in the family. Um, but but I think about you know being able to bring my full attention in each moment to my child, which of course is impossible all the time. But just the consciousness of it, and how can I help um, other other parents do that as well, and other people do that as well to anything that they're doing? I mean, we have so many people who. Um, so many of us interact with people all the time and have a place of, of change. We can potentially be change agents in their lives. And when we're distracted or when we're not bringing our full selves and our full attention to the interaction, it's felt. It's felt when people don't feel heard and listened to and understood. I mean, so few of us do. I mean, think about staff meetings that we're in and think about when we just go through an agenda really quickly um what does it mean for us to to be able to slow down and create whole worlds in every interaction that we potentially have or have that consciousness at least um that is creating change just suggesting that right just projecting that out into the world I think I'm very I'm I'm very attentive to cultures actually and I think about it both at home cultures right like what's our home culture <clears> like you know how do we act and react in home at home so think about it with work and work cultures you know how the, we're so I think we can get so caught up in the production of something performance the oriented performance exactly you know like I want my kid to look good you know I want them to do well I want others to look well upon them same with work situations. You know, I want us to achieve these outcomes and outputs and all of that. But what's the culture that is creating that in our in our homes and in our work, um, in our communal spaces? You know, so if unless we can kind of have that, you know, toho kavoro, right? That the insides 
you know, um, are, are the true reflection of what happens on the outside, then, um, then I think we're lost. I think we're lost. Mm. Listeners, do you hear that? This is why we need to hear Dasi's voice. Mm. This is, your voice is a voice of change mm. that we need. We're desperate for it. We desperately need this type of change mm. because everything you're saying is, promotes connection. And we all have the power to do it, oh, you know. For because, sure. You know, yeah. um, and, and how we, you know, how we show up, you know, in every interaction that we're in. Like, how do we want to show up? How do we want to, you know, how do we want to connect? How do we want to slow down? Mm. And there's no better salve. There's no better remedy. There's no better healing for so much of the loneliness in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people could be in a city like in the middle of... Uh, Dizengoff in Tel Aviv or in the middle of Paris in the middle of Manhattan with millions of people and, and feel lonely because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's lacking a connection mm-hmm. and what you're talking about really fosters, nurtures really really supports and, and embellishes this type of a change yeah Dafka now yes Dafka now in the world absolutely I mean and, and it's so there's such you know there's such a contrast because on the one hand we're so lonely and on the other hand we can be so connected through technology and through zoom and through these beautiful podcasts that you're producing and 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 classes and um and and we're we have we're in a situation where we're aware that we need it and i think that we before covid i think the busyness of our lives could numb this true need that all of us have um you know i love um what brene brown writes about right so she writes about um how if we want to live more robust and full spiritual and emotional lives then vulnerability is the path and that's just where we She's are. She's the queen of vulnerability. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's just where we are. So, mm. so, so how can we kind of lean into that reality? We can't hide it. You know, we just are all just simply there. Um, so, and, and to be able to say, like, how can we one at a time, two at a time, groups at a time, you know, larger communities at a time, uh, be able to create the systems to, to, to foster that. Um, and to deepen magnificent, that. Magnificent. Beautiful. Thank you. So the fourth question actually has a part A and a part B. I love it. It's like so two, complex. Yeah, two sides, <laughs> two different sides of the same coin, mm. right? What is your one ask of status quo Jewish leadership, be it rabbinical or be it educational? Mm-hmm. I would say that there's something about... Um, I feel like sharing struggle, actually, and um, <laughs> being vulnerable and being real. And I think that this can be really challenging for rabbis because rabbis are leaders. And I think it's complicated for anyone who's in a leadership position, actually, to be vulnerable because they need to be strong. They need to guide the way. They need to be an exemplar and a role model. And I feel like with that, there can be such a bifurcation in their own lives that they have to be this person for everybody else, whereas in their own lives, they actually really might need help, you know, and they might need support and they might need real friendships. Um, so, so I think that 
to be able to in with the right <clears throat> you know each person will decide for themselves but for for um, leadership to to be more vulnerable and sharing um, you know struggles because that enables and normalizes the struggles that everybody else feels and experiences um, so I think that that's that's a big piece and I feel the second one especially for educators I would say and especially now and there's so many I mean educators and teachers are the most exquisite human beings now because they have to deal with so much you know educating this generation of kids who are, so many of them are lost now um, because of zoom and in person and out of out not in person and distant learning and all of it um, is to not lose faith in kids and to continue to love kids even more now. Mm. You know, I think that, that children really feel if they're loved and if they're cared for. And I think parents also need to know that that teachers just love their kids, no matter what, no matter if they're late for class and maybe aren't doing their assignments and, you know, um, you know, maybe are finding themselves lost in the, in the classes, or maybe they're actually really ex excelling and are feeling a lot of anxiety to perform and to keep up with things and not fall behind. Um, but this, I think this kind of this sense of loving even when it's hard to love them or even when we can't see them. Um, but just in any ways being able to express that, I think now would be a huge chisun or a dose of, of you know, it's a, it's a vaccination, but I would like to say kind of like a dose of resilience, I think, like a shot of resilience a for for kids. Um, I think that that, that mm. would be a pretty, um, pretty remarkable thing. There's such resonance with what you just said. And in both cases, both of your asks, I can't but help be thinking of the P.S.S. Nerebi. Mm. The P.S.S. Nerebi wrote his seventh and final book, In the Warsaw Ghetto. Mm. If anyone as a leader that so many people looked up to was manifesting vulnerability, he was not teaching about whatever was going on from outside. He was in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. He was hungry. He was cold. He was suffering as his flock was. Mm -hmm. And for him to see from 90, Rosh Hashanah 1939 to right before Tisha B'Av 1942, these were the years that he wrote. Amazing. And then from 1942 to 19, uh, Pesach of 43, uh, that's when the, the ghetto shrunk from about a half a million after the main deportations mm -hmm. to Treblinka to about 20,000. And then he finally, after the uprising, was, he was, uh, uh, they deported him to a Cherwinki concentration camp. Mm -hmm. And that's where he was executed. Wow. His teachings, though, from the ghetto, I think part of why today they seem to be more and more having a pull on more and more people from all different all different ways of expressing Judaism and not and non-Jewish people is because he led with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was in the middle of it. Yeah. And in terms of loving students, Chovuta Talmidin, the one book of the seven that actually was published in his lifetime, which won accolades from all different circles of education in Europe before World War II for his progressiveness and how he honors and loves and shows so much respect for each student. 
I can't but help think that what you're suggesting is we need more PSS in the Rebbe's. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Rabbis, Rabbaniyot, Rabbanim, Rabot, teachers, please be more vulnerable. That's what I'm hearing you say. And love, love, our, love us. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether your students are five years old or 80 years old, we all need to be loved by our teachers. Absolutely. You know, and I think that there's something very parental in it. You know, oh. I think that... that um, that rabbis and educators are parents. You know, they're really they're the the metaphor of a parent for so many. You know, it doesn't matter if they're you know thirty or thirty five or forty, and your congregant is you know eighty five, as you say. That um, that to learn to to just be that parent who's just always there, also you know, yes. not going anywhere. Yes, yes, not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, it says in the Talmud there we have two parents. We have two kinds of parents. We have biological parents that give us life, literally, yeah. brought us into the world, and we have spiritual parents, yeah. yes. which are our teachers. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and the third partner also. Well, the divine. <laughs> yes. The divine is hovering and enveloped and immersed in all of the parenting. Yes, yes. <laughs> Biological parents and spiritual parents. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Now, the other side of this question is, what is your one ask of status quo Jewish congregations Mm. and Jewish communities in general? Mm. You know, I would say, um, I would, you know, I would go back to what I said about cultures, you know, like what, to, to invite communities to think and community leaders to think about how to how to be as expansive as possible in terms of the people that come in and come through the doors. And, um, you know, as you know, we're both connected to um, Rabbi Tamar Elad Applebaum's mm. shul here in Jerusalem, um, Akilat <clears throat> um, Zion. And, and I think that there it's really embodied, you know, I think it's really a, demut, a dugma um, of just how to be as expansive as possible. And the, the tagline is, come as you are, right? Just like, come as come you are. Come as you are. Just come with whatever. Wear a kippah, don't wear a kippah. Wear jeans to shul, don't wear jeans to shul. You know, whatever it is, there's a place for you here. Come here. Sit alongside us. Be here, right? We don't need to perform. We don't need to pretend. This is exactly who you are. You don't need to fit in. You don't need to pretend to know more than you actually know. Just be here. Just be here with us, and let's let, let's be here together. Um, so I think that that's that's a big piece. And I, something else I would say, which I think this period really invites, which is to be alive. And and I think that there we can kind of fall into a rut both. Um, I think anyone, really, who does any profession long enough, community leaders, educators, rabbis, um, community builders, we can kind of do what we've always done, right? Like, we're just going to do this again, and that Tuba Shabbat Seder works, so we're going to do it again. And that thing that we did for Purim last year works, so we're going to do it again. And I think that this year, obviously, like ev- that's thrown out the window. It's like everyone's having to reinvent. Like, what do we do now? And what's our main mission? And let's get really clear on what, what like we want, you know, in for Purim or for Pesach that's coming up. Um, whether like we don't want anyone to be alone, so we're gonna send things to them, and so it helps us get really clear. So I would say to have the energy, that energy of 
of being attuned to what's really happening and what people really need now, always. You know, I think of the word chayim, right, or vitality, and I think about that God's, you know, initials, yud yud, is in the center there. Like, what does it mean to really lichyot, like to really be alive and not to just, okay, we did this curriculum, let's do it again, we have a new flock, we have a new batch, but never to be in that place. And that requires a lot, right? It requires a lot of time and imagination and reconvening groups and and really working hard at it. But I think that, that that's that's the secret to to what it means to live a meaningful life is to actually be connected to the meaning of life as it's happening and as it's unfolding um, and be attuned to it and aware of it. So I think that that would really be my invitation to community leaders, to community organizers. Um, um, and community members. Community member, members, yeah. Just as you use your that beautiful phrase, becoming a soulful parent. Yes. What about becoming a soulful community member? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It extends beyond the nuclear family into the community. Yes. Both leaders and followers. Yes. We can all become more soulful. Yes. And I think a part of that is giving people the benefit of the doubt. I think oftentimes, <laughs> you know, um, we would come to situations and say like, okay, like kind of serve me, you know, or right. do something for me, or dazzle me with your Dvar Torah, or you know, and to say no, we're 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 becoming our our leaders are becoming also, you know, let's let's be with them in that process, um, you know, soulful is let's really be attentive and attuned to the uniqueness of each person who's here, you know, what a gift when we look. I mean, please God will be able to look a, across like a crowded you know room again one day. To, to take in the yofi, the real the beauty of the differences of all the people who are gathered and assembled, and to think, wow, what <sighs> what can be to be a part of this? Like Ashrenu, to be mm. a part of this. I'm thinking of Heschel's famous phrase, radical amazement. Mm-hmm. Your teachings, your words, your ideas, they're radically amazing. Mm. They're radical they're radical and they're amazing. Mm. They're radically amazing. Mm. Thank you so much. Wow, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to uh, talk to you, Iska, today. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, and nice. Just have been in conversation. Absolutely. One soulful person to another soulful person. <laughs> amen, yeah. amen. So in conclusion, uh, as many of our my listeners may be interested in following up with you, reading in conversation, uh, do you have a website? How can people be in touch with you? Sure, yeah. um, I would love that. So I have a website called soulfulparent.com <laughs> and um, I have a book. And what we've done with the book, actually, it has more questions than answers. It has a lot of anecdotes. So I'd love for you to look at the book and, and kind of go on your own journey with it. Um, and we, we also have uh, reading groups that we're starting around the book. So if we're calling it a care package, it's like, who doesn't need to be cared for in these days? You know, which is like someone, please take care of me. Um, so we're, um, we're sharing these care packages and you'll find all the information also on the website. And it's an opportunity for anyone who wants to, to really invite two or three other friends together to read passages from the book, to think about reflective questions on their own, to share that with their with their friends. We have facilitated guides of how to convene groups and fantastic. how to create intimate spaces. So that's fantastic. So that's really that's really the vision that this will just be a springboard um, for for more honest, real, open, meaningful connections between people um, and between parents. This is marvelous. 
And if someone would want to be in touch with you in particular, is the information on the website? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. There's that contact me. Contact me, <laughs> of course, of course. So I would love to, I'd love to hear from you. Well, this has just been extraordinary. This has been wonderful. Such a uh, source of gratitude, blessing, bracha. And it's been fun. Yes. It's really been fun getting to know you a little bit more. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Absolutely. You'll uh, come for Shabbat when we can do that again. <laughs> I look forward to it. I, I look forward to that. Bezrat Hashem. Yes. Good. I mean, I And mean. we can go to Rabbi, um, we can go to Zion together. Yes. Good. Yeah. Rabbi Tamar together. Uh, that would be absolutely. lovely. Yeah, I miss her. Yes. I miss her. Okay, so listeners, as we're moving uh, here in Yerushalayim, uh, my almond tree, Shkedeyah, is showing the beginning of the new blossoms for the spring. Uh, I don't know where all of you people live in different parts of the world, but we are beginning to taste, to hope, to see the beginnings of spring. With spring comes more hope, rebirth. So I bless all of us that let's all remain safe take care of ourselves, take care of each other and our families and our communities. Let other people take care of us and stay healthy on all levels, mentally, emotionally, physically, and of course, spiritually. And until our next podcast, we'll be thrilled.